This is Piotr Moose, and you're listening to The Hour from Portland, Oregon on NWCZradio.com. This month we talked to Chris Brady of Pond, and we play a whole bunch of really great Pond music and a few tunes by Audio Learning Center, Chris's other band. Johnny DeBelli and I visited Chris at his business in Northeast Portland and sat down with him for an interview. As a local business owner, I know how busy things are, and we were really happy to catch up with Chris in his spare time. I've also got some other great music lined up, so sit back and relax. It's the hour from Portland. Yeah. 
fingertips Caused by too many filterless She crushes the ashy end Lifts the lid and drops it down In an urn she carries round Her father recites Her heavy throat is on the gas With St. Christopher on the dash She is safe from any crash At least she believes What she doesn't realize That he's been decanonized by the church
I think the last time I saw you, Chris, I actually, I was just in your neighborhood and I remembered that that was your coffee shop and I actually had a copy of Coke Park in my car and I'm like, ah, uh, uh, I'm going to make this guy's day. And so, because, you know, as a fan, so I, so I take my discount, I go into your coffee shop and you're working the counter and you look tired and yeah. like a little frazzled and some woman was complaining about her coffee and like asking all these weird questions about roasting and there's people in line and I'm just kind of waiting there patiently. I finally get up to the counter. I'm like, could you sign this for me, please? Oh, I kind of remember that. And you you looked at me, you looked at me and you were like, sure. And and then he goes, do you want another copy? You go, do you want another copy? I have 10,000 of them in my (laughs) basement. I do. I have boxes of those if you want. I don't know what to do with them. But I um, think you're the only one that bought one. I'm like, that's not true. No, I, yeah, it's that. That was an odd time for me because it it really pond. I think everything went very easily, right? You know, and people were like, "Oh, we love your band." We got to tour with amazing bands and this and that. You know, like the Get Up Kids and Saves the Day and all those guys. It's kind of like super nice guys, but Tunes. but I'm I didn't really get it, yeah. and I felt I was chaperoning my own shows. Which was weird because I'd play like a sold out show. That was the most boring sold out show I've ever played. And you're like, I look around and I'm definitely the oldest person in there besides Steve, who's a little older than I am. <laughs> um, and then I just toured a ton with those guys also. But, you know, I started having kids and I toured right up to my daughter being born about two weeks before she was born. And it was like, you know what? I'm done. So how did coffee come about? Um, like, okay, well, coffee, I... Wait. Wait. Right. wait. Okay. <laughs> no, let's, let's talk well, a little bit going. about... Keep going. Yeah, let's talk a little yeah. bit about Extracto and, and okay. the Whatever Extracto brand. Okay. Um, well, Extracto, you know, I've, I've made coffee for since like the mid to late 80s on and off. Um, it was always kind of the thing I did. And I'm from Alaska originally. Um, there was one place when I was in high school that, you know, I was the kid that had the trench coat and the super long bangs and the engineer boots. And I was really into the cure. and But also into, like, you know, Channel 3 and Bauhaus. And, you know, so there was maybe two or three of us in Juneau, Alaska, <laughs> and we would go to this place called the Orpheum, which was a coffee house, but it was also an uh, art movie theater, and they showed foreign films and cool movies, but they also had an espresso machine, and I lived there pretty much seven days a week, and we would sit and talk about all kinds of things and do art, but we closed it down eventually because we just drank coffee every day. And they didn't make any money. Um, but I saw, like, Harold and Maude there. I saw tons of, like, amazing French movies and this and that. You know, I so that was my first, like, I just love coffee. And I would drink coffee from the moment since I've been about 12. But it was like, oh, I just love this stuff. And I'd put tons of brown sugar and cream and, you know. And when I moved down here that's the one thing is every day I would drink coffee and I worked at bakeries and I worked at coffee shops and I worked at different, um, different places. 
but um, it always came back to coffee and music. And I worked in bakeries until the day came. Uh, it was like, oh, my band's doing pretty well. I think I'm quitting my job. And, then, <laughs> and that was Pond. Yeah, and that and that lasted ten years. Yeah. You know, until wow. but I always come back and be like, oh, well, I know how to make coffee. You know, whenever I needed a job, it was either I was a Kelly girl doing temp work in some factory or I was making coffee. So, nice. yeah. And because of all that time with coffee, you actually know how to make good coffee because I've had your coffee. Well, it's getting better. You know, I, it, it, coffee has is, is definitely changed since 1987, which I started. Yeah. And now it's super gourmet and people are growing it better. Um, but to me, it's very similar to music that you can, if you, the more effort you put into it and the more time you spend with it, the better it gets. Did you start with a cafe or were you a roastery? Um, I started with a cafe in 2006. Was that at either of the locations you have now? Yeah. On 29th and Killingsworth. And it, when I originally opened, I didn't have a sign there for probably four years had no sign in the building and it would just be me with a person in the morning and me with a person in the afternoon and it was retail yeah we yeah just like this we sold espresso drinks and stuff and we sold um stumptown coffee at that point and i did the stumptown for about two and a half years but i remember every day we'd do like two hundred dollars a day or something but it would be me with somebody in the morning and they would go home, and then a new person would join me, and I'd be with them until evening. And I'd get there about 5.30 in the morning. I'd leave about 8 at night. And what year was that? That was in 2006. But I knew that I wanted to be kind of the people will figure it out, and they will find me. And about two years in, some guy opened the door and was like, did you just open? And I said, no, I... I I've been here for about two years. He's like, well, where have I been? And I'm like, yeah, I guess you've been somewhere else. I'm just out of sight, out of mind. Like people who do coffee for a living don't even know about me. (laughs) So, so at this point, my places do really well, but it's all word of mouth. And, and this shopping center here looks pretty new or revamped or something. It's revamped. What's the record store next door called? Beacon Sound. Beacon Sound. Yeah. Those guys were cool. They let me play their guitar. They've no, they're, got they're vinyl, awesome. vinyl crawling up the walls. And this, I think this spot at one point was a candle shop. It was actually a Coke front. <laughs> 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 and they got busted. for uh, They sold candles, but they also sold cocaine. And this whole corner was like the coffee shop that was here before me. He said he used to find empty uh, bullet shells lined up in front of his door to as kind of a hey from the dealers <laughs> that sold stuff on the corner just so he'd keep his mouth shut. Yikes. So Tiga's really changed this corner because I knew it would. It was really super sketchy. And then at one point I remember seeing people sitting outside drinking wine while the person across the street was dealing drugs. And I thought, wow, the corner's changing. (laughs) Well, it's funny, too, because I came driving up I-5 and came out Alberta. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me how much Alberta has grown 
It's changed between killings or between uh, sorry MLK and Fifteenth. I used to go down Alberta and have Bella Facha, yeah, or have um, the Mexican uh, uh, La Serenitas or La Bonita. Bonita, yeah, yeah. And the the mom who worked at Bonita would always like fawn over me. And she's funny. She she's did cool. she did a family prayer for my family on nice. the last Thursday. Yeah, she and was so doing family prayers. <laughs> and I remember, you know, driving around this Prescott corner and thinking, well, you know, what a great area. And you've got, uh, you know, the housing areas around here are just phenomenal. And and what a great spot to be in. It's great. Like this this spot. Um, when I moved in, it was definitely still like, oh, is this going to happen or not? And then Grain and Gristle opened. Um, Tiga was there. Um, Revival is where Beacon Sound was. And, um, but it was really like, I don't know if it's going to be a good spot or not. And since that happened, Grain Gristle opened. They're doing fantastic. Um, and then Andy Ricker, who's an old local musician, played in the Quags and 44 Long and Vehicle, um, who owns Pock Pock and started Pock Pock, who's now like a national yeah. super food star. Podden has moved into their own space on on uh, Killingsworth, and he moved in there. So suddenly it's like, wow, I'm in the hippest spot in town. <laughs> Where before it was like, it's wow. almost like your clothing choices. Yeah, there you go. I'm my 20 year cycle has happened. The heart of Alameda. Yeah, it's changed. I used to go to Chuck Hinton's Rib Express, which you know Alberta used to be La Serenita, the Starry Rose, and that was it. You walk, it was just like weeds and seeds all the way. There was nothing. And I went to the early, early, early last Thursday is when it was like, there's about 12 people walking around. Let's go. 
Anyway, uh, so you you were talking about how you were the kid with the long bangs who drank coffee uh-huh. and listened to Bauhaus. Yeah. All right. So does this picture? I'm showing uh-huh. him a picture for radio. Does this ring any bells with you? Um, meats and seafoods. It wasn't originally meats oh, Jerry, and seafoods. Oh, J- Jerry's Meats? Is that Jerry's? Yeah, but it's, it wasn't Jerry's. That is just you a, can't beat Jerry's Meat in Juneau, Alaska. No, that is, at least from what the internet I'll take told your word me, for that. That's the original Markin Pack. Oh, which is yes. where you used yes. to actually okay. buy so, records. Yes, I used to buy them right about there. <laughs> <laughs> right above, I'm I'm slightly over the R in Radio Shack, <laughs> but yes. Um, but this was the only place in town because I mean, you lived in Juneau. No, it is. And what was the music selection like there? Well, were you starving? Okay, for so tunes? so. There was a place downtown that was also a hi-fi audio store that I found my first record that changed my life. Well, it wasn't. A, it was on cassette, which uh, it was a little later. I guess I'm born in 1970, so I, up to that point, I was really into heavy metal and and uh, you know Motley Crue's first two records, and you know I think you know some of my early albums I bought were you know what everybody else bought, Foreigner Four and Asia. Um, <laughs> You know, with the 1982 hit or whatever, Heat of the Moment, I think yeah. it was. I think those are my two first buys, you know. but the Vocal harmonies were great on that. Yeah. But, so, I went in this place downtown. It wasn't actually at this spot, but downtown. And they had a racquetball can that had a cassette in it. And it was called the Survival Sampler. And I remember going, what is that? And they're like, oh, it's this there's a cassette in there and it said only open in case of like a nuclear disaster or something like that because tape handles nuclear weapons and and you'd have to basically open the end and once you opened it it was open you can't close it again it was like a peel open racquetball can um but you opened it up and it was this little cassette and it had a little like um booklet with it but it had the cure um caterpillar on it it had what difference does it make by the smiths it had king crimson it had scritty politty because if you're gonna repopulate the world yeah you know it's like you know so at the time i had never heard anything like that and i was like holy crap like what is this you know these bands and there was some amazing band the church um china crisis yeah the church yeah so I played that cassette until it basically fell apart. But then I was at the Markin Pack, which is this building, and I went upstairs and there was a little hi-fi store and they had a record section that was about, it was one thing of records and it was maybe 20 inches deep or whatever. And I was flipping through it and I was like, oh, Violent Films, that sounds yeah. crazy. And it's a girl looking in a barn or something and I bought that album and, <laughs> and I bought, oh, this... Oh, the Smiths were on my survival sampler. Meat is murder. I'll take that one. What year is this? I don't know. Like Mid eighties, eighty six, something yeah. like that. And then I'm going. Oh, oh, the Cramps. Bad music for bad people. Nice. And it had the crazy like long hair thing. I thought oh, I got to take like that, that one. Too. <laughs> so so I grabbed those three yeah. records. Yeah. And it it and it really. 
Did you know anyone else in Juno? I never heard who? any of those guys except that one Smith song. Nobody else in Juno was listening to this, or no? There was a cigar shop. Why did Why did the store have these records? I guess whoever owned the store must have had good taste in music, but I didn't know who that was. And they also had Van Halen, and I have to find that know. out. But but I, uh, it's funny because there was a smoke shop also that sold Maximum Rock and Roll. Um, I used to, and I used to buy that and look at all the crazy punk rock, like people diving off of you know thirty foot things into giant pits, and just think. There's a world out there that's different than this. It starts this whole new revolution of Well, I would read culture. about SNFU all the time. Yeah. At that point, it was Agnostic Front, SNFU, Black Flag, and Channel 3. And there was, like, these bands out there. And I remember, like, SNFU. Yeah. I, I didn't know what they sound like. I couldn't tell you one song they wrote. But a decade later... Or more than a decade later, I played a show with SNFU with Pond. They came on, played Buck Naked. We were playing Agatha, and they came on and joined us and sang along completely yeah. naked. We hung out with them, and it was like, and I remember talking to the singer, like, dude, I've been, you know, I, I love your band. I've been, I saw you in Max and Rockwell. He's like, yeah, when you're like eight, eight, <laughs> you know, because those guys started the band when they were like 10 or 11 or yeah. something. So, I was really uh, slightly embarrassed, but I really hit it off with them, and we had a great time. And then it's funny, because we were in Germany later, um, in Hamburg, playing at the... Uh, in Hamburger, Hamburg, and there's a place called the Reeperbahn, which is, like, basically Sex City. Ich bin ein Hamburger. Yeah. So we're, so we're in the Reeperbahn, which is the wickedest mile, and it's all sex shops and this and that. So I'm, we're, we stayed at our hotel... Motorhead is playing in town with White Zombie. Oh, and they still are. Yeah, and they still are. So we're in the elevator, and I take the elevator down with White Zombie. And the guy, I'm like, oh, hey. You know, and the guy's got the crazy contacts, and the girl's got the piss yellow hair or whatever. And they're like, they just give me the zombie look or whatever. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I go out, but I see a guy in a Wheat Chief's jacket, which is SNFU's other band. I'm like, hey, SNFU. And I see those guys. I run into him in Germany. We go down, we're like, what the fuck? And we go down into a little bar, they're like, we know a place, let's go drink. So we go down to this bar, and Lemmy is playing video poker in a white suit and white cowboy boots. And SNFU's like, it's Lemmy! Like, they just found Santa Claus. How do you know? The mole! So (laughs) they throw their arm around, they're taking pictures, you tell he's totally pissed off. But... But it, it, it was a total circle of like, oh my god, my youth is just so great, you know? Like, I, right from that magazine to, man, I'm hanging out with these guys, and it's Motorhead, you know? Yeah. So that was. I only, know, I only got to commune times. with Motorhead for the young ones on MTV. Oh, man, I love. I, he's I would one have, of the best bass players. I would have died to, to even have met Lemmy when I was that age. Yeah, he's. He's a weird cat now, I think. But uh, to get back to the, uh, okay. the sorry, no, no, you're fine. I'm ranting. Ranting but, is good. No, uh, sorry, but I, I want to try to start a, another rant, which is you talked about how that that uh, racquetball can yeah. really got your attention. Yes. So um, one, 
We just picked this up at uh, what is it? Beacon Sound. Beacon Sound. Everybody Beacon on Prescott. Sound. Beacon Sound. Which is your check? Is so I have a couple old. of these at home. Yeah. A block away too. I'll go replace the one at Beacon Sound. <laughs> but it's the young, it's the young Splendor Tree EP, which you guys put out on K yes, Records, right? On TK Records, TK Records which is Thor Lindsay's record label, right? But. Open it up. What color is that vinyl? It's green. It's green. Jump ahead to 2002, first Audio Learning Center record, which the art features uh, a painting by a friend of yours, which is called Lamentation. Which is in my house. Which is in your house. And Uh you packaged that with an actual frame around it. To get the CD out of it, you had to slide it out.
I think music's meant to be used and enjoyed, not just to be used as a commodity. And that and that and that's a big thing. You know, after I gave Janelle, who owned the Ozone, this Kurt Cobain guitar that was missing a headstock, and he had attacked with a claw hammer and ripped all the pickups out of didn't that they, I had. Did they really nail the destruction of equipment? They really did. Oh, man. Them, and this is... Just when we thought it was dead. Well, and the thing is, this isn't a Fender or anything. This is like... It probably wasn't even that great of a guitar. No, it, it was like a court. <laughs> It was like a left-handed court red guitar because he was broke. Yeah. Which is so awesome about Kurt Cobain because if anybody really knew... This is way before Mustangs or any of that mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. Jag- which Jag- which Jag- is funny with- because the guy who... Um, I know the guy who has his guitar tech for years and, you know, he 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 would like Scott tape that shit back together and he'd use it for the next show. And it's funny because somebody ran into Kurt Cobain later at Satyricon was like, Hey, my friend has your guitar from this Corvallis show. And his thing goes, does he have my fucking strap? Because I want my strap back, which I don't have a strap. But he's like, That's, that was a good strap. And was, good that was an Ernie Ball, like, nylon, shitty strap, you know? But I'm like, I'm like I it don't fits. have a strap. Yeah, but, but that guitar is, I have a piece of it in my house still. We can clone him from but the sweat. But Janelle has it, and she won... Uh, they did a window display and they won it and she did beer cans with hypodermic needles and hung that <laughs> guitar and she won the Nirvana window display and nice. she got to spend the weekend with Nirvana cool. and she went and hung out with them for three days and it was like great I wish she'd give me the guitar back but <laughs> other than that it was a stupid birthday present to give her because if I knew I would have had two kids that would pay their way through college. Are you still a Rickenbacker guy? I have three Rickenbackers. Oh, nice. But you, what, what's the deal with that? On the X-ray video, you were playing like this giant Voyager-looking thing. That was a Gibson Thunderbird, I believe. And that, I, th- I love those bases, but they're built for giants. Like the frets on those are like three times bigger than any other fret. And the headstock on them are about as big as my forearm. And I've snapped the neck on that bass four times. It now sits in my basement somewhere with the pickups are pulled out of it. And it's in two pieces. I will never fix it again. So Rickenbacker, I'm a huge Rickenbacker fan. I think they're the best. I will never play another bass other than the Rick. I've owned Fender and all kinds yeah. of I love that, like, because the Rickenbacker was traditionally, for me anyway, in my experience of rock music, was like, oh, you know, Brits. I love Rickenbackers, you know, more trebly, more guitar. But you got so much low end out of those things. Well, it's funny because there was a guy, his name was God, Lou, what was his name? Pi. This guy, Lou. Barlow. No, it wasn't Lou Barlow, but I got to tell you, Lou Barlow is probably my favorite bass player. But beyond that, um, there's this guy, Lou, who played in Slack, and he had a white Rickenbacker, which is like the worst color of the Rickenbacker, and he played it with Bartolini pickups. And Bartolini is this Italian family in Florida, and they hand wine pickups, and you can still buy their pickups, I believe, unless they had, I don't know, I haven't checked in 10 years, but... They were like 130 bucks a pick or whatever. But this guy, would, he was an amazing bass player. And he later was in some weird eclectic band called Eskimo or something. But I heard that sound. I was like, 
oh my god that's the most amazing bass sound I've ever fucking heard and I went and bought a Rickenbacker and put Bartolini pickups in it because of that bass sound and really for me bass playing the album Dinosaur Bug um, was probably one of the first albums I went what you know (laughs) what's this guy doing and the whole idea of playing a chord on a bass I'd never even thought of that but um, you nailed it (laughs) and Lou and Lou and Lou Barlow is the king of that yeah but he's an amazing bass player and I wish he still played bass he's a much better bass player than the bass player for Sebado agreed um but it really opened my eyes wow I don't have to do ding 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 I can play two notes three notes you know you can do whatever you want and um I think Sue Young Park who was in uh, Bitch Magnet and Seam um Codeine the bass player from Codeine which is putting out a, a, a box set of all their stuff going on tour and going on tour for the first time in 20 years by the way next year your first pond record 20 years old oh man <laughs> i will i yeah, probably so will get, never play to, with pond again i want to no, let we have to know. make a show of that experience but i just blew your mind i will i will tell you where, like where are they years, now where it doesn't now? It, it goes really fast yeah. i'm 42 as of a couple weeks ago you're like my big brother <laughs> At 42 a couple weeks ago. It's funny Only because in, in the band world, I was always the young guy. Yeah, and me now, too. And then and then I start touring with other bands, and suddenly I'm like, oh, I'm the old guy. I was just sitting with a friend of mine who played in Granddaddy, and he's quite a bit younger than me. And I'm like, <laughs> Granddaddy. Oh, they're gonna do they're a. Awesome. They're gonna do three shows a summer. It's gonna fucking blow people's minds. Uh, last time I talked to you, uh, they're amazing. When man. you were not at your learning center, I used to fucking go to every show, and you'd be like, "Who is this guy?" That was that guy. Yeah, and I'd buy drinks and make, force you guys to talk about music, which was awesome because you introduced me a lot of stuff. Two records, Granddaddy someday, because you said That's to me, a "Great record." Yeah, but you were like, "Look, I love Granddaddy, but you'll probably just be able to digest someday." Like you you strike under a Western yeah, Freeway is the best. I album. know, but you were like, you look like a guy that can't handle the full granddaddy. You got to buy some days a great record. It is a though. great record, so, so I was like, okay. And then, under the Western Freeway, and the next is the best one, one was fucking uh, "Not a Surf, Let Go," which, which is, is a phenomenal record. A phenomenal record, and per- then a perfect ten, perfect ten. And I went to that uh, show on that tour after you forced me to buy that record, and it was at uh, Burbati's. Mm-hmm. And it was the most androgynous crowd I've ever seen. At what? I at Burbati's. I couldn't tell who was a man and who was Is a woman. Is this at Not a Surf? Yeah. Oh, were you yeah. at that show? I'm sure I was. Yeah, and I was. I was looking. I around. was looking half yeah, man, half by the, woman. No, 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 no. I didn't see you because you obviously. Yeah. Well, everybody. I probably didn't have facial hair at the time, but everybody um, there was like, "Hey, there's that guy, lady." I know. I, yeah. But I yeah, was sort of like not, a not sure put if, off by. But that's a band I think should be huge, and they'll they probably never will get huge. I think cause such a great song. Hot snakes. <laughs> I think suicide invoice by hot snakes. Yeah, perfect ten. They just played South by Southwest, but the obits are doing their thing, and the night marchers or whatever, and you know they're always do the sum of their parts. 
you know, Hot Snakes, some of their parts, is better than any of those bands, I think. But then they break off, and I like the Obits okay, and I like Night March is okay, and I think Rock from the Crypt's okay. But Hot Snakes, oh my God, like the best band you've ever seen. You opened for Rocket from the Crypt, right? We did. We toured with Soundgarden and Rock from the Crypt yeah. for 16 shows. Yeah, Awesome. And that was fun. We had a good time. What what was it like touring with Soundgarden? It was weird. <laughs> it was weird. Um, those guys, we played their last tour. So if that's any indication. I, I love Kim Thale. I'm a huge Kim Thale I'll fan. tell you, Kim Thale is a very genuine guy who loves music. He would yeah. come and watch us every night. Oh. At one point, Charlie would t- he Charlie would like tune his guitar every fucking song, and at one point, Kim was like, "Dude, here's a tuner," and he gave him a fucking <laughs> tuner for free. He's like, "I don't know what's going on with your tuner, but here's here's one you can have this one. It works." And and Charlie's like, "Oh, thanks." <laughs> like he was such a nice guy.
that was part of that is collecting these rocks and then the idea that one day you might just be a substance and be pressed into a rock and somebody might find you and and that's the it's, it completes a circle but i couldn't do that in 3 minutes i couldn't do that in 4 minutes it took 9 and a half minutes to actually get my it took idea. 8 trillion years <laughs> yes or 8 trillion years so i recorded that song so this has been the record and i love that song and and that yes, is and favorite. that's probably my favorite song too and i played that a couple times where it was like it's the best time we ever played that song. I had a guy who said, that's my song. My girlfriend just broke up with me. I played the song for him. He was crying. I really felt it and was like, oh, my God, I'm never going to play that better than I just played it for you. And I remember that show. Oh, uh, extension of rock collection into other things. Okay. Uh, so Bring it on. You have a few videos on YouTube. One is rock collection at the old Rex, X-Ray Cafe. Yes. Your son's in the stereo video. He is in that video. And, and that video is an awesome video with so many mistakes in that. If you watch it from the beginning, it's like a comedy. Because the, the old man in it, he has one top on. But then he showed up the second day in a completely different suit. So his suit changes throughout <laughs> launching the... And the bowling balls change colors all the time. But you know it doesn't matter about that? It's because it's you guys captured the last video of that place as it was. Well, and Grand also Central my son, if you watch him catch the animal, the animal he catches and the one that he wa- runs away with are completely totally different, different color. <laughs> it's like, no, dude, it's just trippy. Yeah, so I thought the guy did a great job for the $500 or whatever he had to make a video. But also, but, just that you guys yeah, was it was, it was it their fun. concept or your concept to to film that at the bowling alley? It was their concept, and okay. I thought it was a great one. And he, I, but I, that's I like realize that you're a, you're a part yeah. of Portland history because of that. Yeah. That bowling alley is no longer so. Like it's that. it's and, funny because that video cost I don't know thousand bucks or yeah. five hundred bucks. Spokes the video we paid like fifty thousand dollars for that video, which is also a nice video. And it's a like to me. I'm like that's a fucking great video. Yeah, it is. And I don't think we got any airplay on that. And you know, it's funny. Spike Jones is in that video. He's in it. Really? He's the is actor. He He's the punk rock guy boyfriend. It's, it's funny. Oh, There's nice. sort of a meme. <laughs> he wouldn't make the video. Like we were like, hey, but Spike Jones, <laughs> can you make our video? And he's like, no, I don't want to make your video. So we get Mike Mills to do wow. it. And but he shows up at Mike Mills thing. Like, yeah, I'll be in your video. I'm like. Fuck, you won't make it, but you'll be in it. Like you get, nobody knows what you fucking look like. Like so, so I want to have a big finger that says, you know, that would have got it played, probably. You know, but that's the thing is, uh, I think it was Lewis Black who had the comedy routine, like that he hates music videos. Music is for your ear, not your eye. How did you I guys hate videos? Yeah, too. I was gonna say, yeah, how did you guys suck. feel about them? They're horrible. Every time you your budget is horrible. Um. That that video was outrageous, but I'll tell you, I, I sat with the work records, the president of work records, and he's like, "I'm we're eating like chicken skewers, in, in a in like a room, and the guy's like, I love you guys, everything's awesome. I'm gonna give you a hundred fifty thousand dollars to do a video, and I'm like, wow, okay, and he's like, good seeing you, and he w- walks out. And the video, and I'm like, okay, 150 grand, I can do a lot with that. And the video guy's like, it's 75 grand. <laughs> I'm like, he just said 150 grand. He's like, 
no. That's not writing. He's like, that's not going to happen. And really, it ended up being a lot less than that. But yeah. the guy's like, that guy's the feel-good guy, and I'm telling you how it is. <laughs> and I'm like, like, let's do it, kids. And then Yeah, he's yeah. It's like, he's like, he's like no, that's all bullshit. Come on. <laughs> We're not talking real numbers here. You've been getting ten grand for ten years to make a video every year, you know. So... Which is funny because the stuff we made for ten grand always got on 120 minutes. That work records thing, I don't think got played once on it. I love the Agatha video mostly because yeah, that got played yeah, a lot. Because, I'm like, but, but because the course is so good, I got that. You know, and but you have Charlie and the stupid hat going like this. But you know, I I really like Pond and I miss that band a lot. And our learning center, I liked, I loved, I put so much energy into. Um, but at a certain point I realized that it was never going to have the same power or draw as Pond. And part of that is I think Charlie's amazing uh, songwriter. And, and, he's quirky, and he's a quirky shit. Like he does really weird off-kilter stuff. And I was more of a pop guy. So I would write really poppy stuff and he'd write really weird shit. And I think it worked really well. Um, for a long time, we wrote together, and then as time went on, we definitely kind of grew apart. Um, but there was still a power in that. And in the Audio Learning Center, I wrote all the songs. And Steve is a great guitar player, but he's definitely more of a pop guy. Yep. He's not as quirky or off kilter as Charlie is. Um, so they and both those guys are super great guitar players. Um, but at that point, it was all up to me. And I'm kind of a slow writer. So so do you think it's important in a band dynamic to have somebody that challenges you like that? To pull, I think you, pull so. you out of your shell a little well, bit and push if, you? Well, if you're comfortable, you know, I think art by committee sucks. But if it keeps your checks and balances going, I think it's a really healthy thing. Because you, because you just want to do like, hey, I, love, I have this thing. That's like... Yeah, it's a little too smooth, or it's a little too this way or that way. And it's like, I'm going to do this fucking weird thing with it. And suddenly it becomes very exciting. Force the part alcohol. Pretending that you are enough.
you have a song called Cope Park, and it's a yes. very ominous song about like, like you know, we all knew those people. I'm not saying that this stuff happened to you, but like families that are uh, sort of spread thin and and you know latchkey kids and all that stuff. And but I used to walk up there a lot. I love that drink. you recognized it from just that picture of crazy mirrory trees. Like that's that could be anywhere. Really. Well, I went back to Juno and a friend of mine, Rob Royce, who took the photos for that album. He walked in there when it was the middle of winter. And I said, "Hey, can you give me some photos of Cope Park?" And he lives by there. He walked in. And took all those crazy Crazy photos. And he lives about three blocks from Cope Park. And I just was up there a few months ago. And we had a four-hour brunch. But um, he throws big parties there. We had a giant fire, like a punk rock band slash. He bought like 150 different fireworks and tied together on a piece of plywood and it exploded it. It's interesting you that know? you say that because so. do you know uh, who Cope Park is named after? I don't. I think it's the cops you got killed there, mm-hmm. maybe. This park is dedicated to the volunteer firefighters okay. who have served the Juno area and is named in honor of Bill Cope, Former Juno businessman, youth sports supporter, and retired captain of the Juno Volunteer Fire Department. I don't. And you were in his park, well, lighting you, fireworks on a plank of wood. Chris, well, you defile his. Mind. But I'll tell you, two cops got shot at the scar park too early on. Yeah, just like just like a crazy thing, and they. It's an early, you know, it's some horrible things have happened there. So it's it's definitely like a really weird, somber area and but if you walk through Cope Park and up above Cope Park beautiful it just it's the middle of two mountains if you keep going back there is a mine and a salmon bake and there's like this I used to like go up there for hours and my wife and I have a place called Ebner Falls which I've written a thing a song about that in Pond which is probably one of the most beautiful places I've ever been um I think it's called Ebner is the name of the song. I'm trying to remember back. It's just bass and drums. Yeah. And to the if if you ask my wife, like, where's the one place you could go where that's the place of 25 years, it would, she'd say, oh, it's Ebner Falls, yeah. you know. So this Cope Park is this weird little place, but it's in this canyon that kind of goes up between these mountains that is like – unbelievable and you see things and see places and bears and all kind of stuff so i'm gonna throw a couple things out (laughs) black bears and hear you rant on these uh john peel sessions at bbc we've done two we did two peel sessions yeah but what tell me about those like i know that john peel was a like a disc jockey kind of radio personality on the bbc so john peel recorded the beatles yeah. rolling stones he recorded the velvet underground he he basically had a radio show that once a week he would handpick bands they'd come in and he wasn't there but you would go in you but the, yeah every week he'd say this is the band i want and they would say hey do you want to do a peel session and you say yeah of course i do and they go in, say, record four songs, and you have six hours to do it. So you guys did? We did two of them. Two of them. Um, we did pr- um, Pretty Thing by um, Bo Diddley. Yeah. We did Spokes. Spokes. We did nice. Cinders. 
God, you don't have to name them all if you can't remember and all. And I think we did Filterless. Yeah, Filterless sounds great, by the way. <laughs> that's which so it's great. Uh, which and that's the song which, you wrote. Yeah, yeah, which which, but they'd be like, yeah, play some stuff, but they want you to pull out something weird too, and so we'd be like, okay, let's do something else. But we record, and then we'd walk in, and they'd throw up mics, and it would be similar to what we're doing now. Yeah. You'd be recording a song and you'd be listening on headphones and you'd be like, Fuck, that sounds so shitty. I can't believe I can't play that very well. By the way, and, the, the peel sessions are on YouTube and I think they sound great. And and the thing is, they would start mixing and they're like, Okay, I think we're good. And you're like, Really? And you'd hear it back in your gans, you'd be like, That's the worst I've ever played that. And then they're like, Okay, you can go out for a while, and then we've an been doing later, this the same way for forty years. Yeah, so that you'd walk back in, they're like, "Okay, I think we're ready for you to listen," and you and and you go, "Okay," um, and suddenly play it like, "Fuck, man, I'm rocking that." <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? You're like, "Fuck, it sounds great." Um, so those guys are amazing. The engineers, I think, at that. And John Peel, I guess, came to one of our shows. What? Somebody told, told us, like, hey, John Peel was here and watched your show. I never met him. Yeah. He passed away. I wish I would have met him. I think he was actually a fan, which, which is cool. Was this a spinoff of performing for the new music seminar in UK, or did he already hear about you before that? No, I think he's, he was just a guy who was a huge yeah. music fan, and, and yeah. he would hear things and be like, I want that band. Yeah. What what recording facility was that? It was at the BBC Studios. Okay. So you'd roll up and they'd be like, oh, you're in Studio B. and Hello, governor. Yeah, and they're like, okay. Cue for the loo, I've only got two And pounds. the guy looks at me, yeah, you're sure. like, and the guy's like, okay, yeah. And I'm like, oh, we're pod, we're at the Peel Session. And they're like, yeah, great. <laughs> Load your shit over there. It's a giant <laughs> you company. You they're, do like, they're like, we do this three times a week, so who gives a shit, you know? Well. So... You put out a demo tape with Mandarin, quote unquote, yes. called Home Recordings. Yes, which you, I made on VSA eighty. You, you, uh, you got any copies of that yes. that I could have? And yeah, so. no, I don't. <laughs> I don't think I have one copy of that. Damn it, you said I might somewhere because yeah, I really wanted to hear that. I, don't, I really gave, don't even. Need I think to own somebody it. just gave me one from about a year ago from a Goodwill.
Take that. Flank. That's what it's done. I was just saying, like, this, uh, this is what John has been up to. Dude, this is a horrible recording. I know, right? I like it.
So that song sparked a memory. I played a wedding once. Harbor Lodge in Juneau. And we played for these teenagers. They're probably 17 or 18. Why did why did you pick Portland to come to? There's a bunch of cities in the West Coast you could have picked. Okay, so here's here's here. the deal with so I moved down. Charlie and and uh, it was Charlie and Chuck. These two guys were in a band, and they actually Charlie was in Pond. Um, I played in Juneau, Alaska, and I played in bands for a couple of years in bar bands, and I played. I knew about three hundred songs, and we play from nine at night to about three in the morning, and I. Every night through high school, every weekend, I would walk out of a bar with about 120 bucks in my pocket. But I, I was not doing well at school because I was half asleep because I was always playing music. Um, and Charlie and Chuck were like, hey, we need a bass player. We're going to make this art movie. And we're getting paid like $300 or something for this art movie do you want to play bass? I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. I was really into drama. I was a thespian or whatever, and I won, like, the state drama championship or whatever. So I was really into One that. Act? One act? What'd you do? What'd you do to win it? Um, I was, I did, oh, I don't even remember what it, it was a monologue of some sort. Monologue. Very nice. Okay, yeah. keep going. So. Hamlet. Um, no, I, I was in Macbeth, though, for a professional theater. I played track. Malcolm. I was also in a lot of, pretty dumb plays which i have videotapes of um our town greece we, we I was danny zuko in greece, greece if you want to talk greece. about yes, yes i was danny zuko in greece I which i have a that. and i was in fame i was ralph garcia in fame and <laughs> i was in bombing gilead and i was a transvestite in that and i have photos of that so we did this movie mm-hmm. and then we got done and they were like oh here's your whatever and i'm like what are you guys doing? Like, oh, we just bought a van and we're moving to Portland. And I had just graduated high school. I had no plans. My, my, after high school, I was like, either I was going to move to New Orleans and play the blues and kind of figure out how to play. I was really into Paul Butterfield and the, you know, so Charlie had friends down in Portland, um, a couple friends and he was like, we're going to take the ferry down. So from Juneau, you jump on a boat for three days, and you ferry down to Seattle. And then they bought this shitty van, and they were going to drive to Portland because they had a friend they could sleep on their floor and go down. So we, so we got on the boat. I had like $40 when I got on the boat. By the time I got to Portland, I had $8. So I got to Portland with $8 in my pocket. We had an address. We pull up to Burnside at the time. This is 1989. Um, and Charlie's like, hey, up on the right is Powell's Books. There you go. And it's like, there's a really great bookstore up here. And I, th- I was looking at it said T-Bones, like 4 dollars or whatever. 
which was I think at the time was like Slaughters or I don't I forget what the Look at it now though. You know, but it was over across the street which was you know, it was like this it was the gay steakhouse. I forget what it was. So, so he's like, there's a great place here. And then our van broke down. Like, we're like, we're stuck. I got eight bucks. Our van's broken down. We call our friend. She's like, well, my brother works in this warehouse four blocks from you. So we walk to the warehouse. I ring this bell and this guy. Hello. It's like, oh, hey, um, is Chris Stuckey here? Because Sarah Stuckey was our friend. And he managed this thing. He's like, oh, just one second. This guy shows up. He has spandex on. And I hear just like rock noises. And he's like, what? I'm like, is Chris Ducky here? Like a friend of ours. We just broke down. And, and we walked in. It was a place called The Palace. And it was owned by this guy, Bill Fish. And Chris Ducky, who played with John Bible and the Baptists, was the manager who was a brother of this gal who was friends with us and we walked in and there's 50 bands in this building and that's where they practice and in the basement so we got a place and we were next to death of conformity and gargoyle <laughs> were the two bands next to us and we were in the fucking basement and you go in there when somebody's practicing it was like a fucking tornado's going off and i actually saw a little guy rolling his kick drum down the hall it was so big it was like it was like as, as tall as he was, and he was rolling it down, and all the metal bands... It's like a would, David Lynch movie. And the, yeah. all the metal Randy bands Rhodes? would deck their... They would deck their rooms out, and it would be like red shag, or leather, or like mirrors. And, and you'd hear a lot like, Hello, Poland! Poland! Hello! And everybody was trying to be Mother Love Bone. What a great introduction to the and, city, though. And that was, I was just like, and eventually, after a year, we moved up a floor, and I think we were next to the Killing Field, and maybe Nero's Rome, nice. and uh, New Shoes, yeah. and... Um, Sorry, I always think of finger snapping. Like yeah, and New Shoes was the big band, and then there was somebody who played with the Frank Zappa... But over the years, we went up a couple floors. But it was like a shithole. Now there's a Starbucks there. That's where the Starbucks is in the Pearl. And there's, I don't know, there are condos or something. New Shoes still rehearses up there, though. He probably does. John Smith, I think his name was. By the way. He'd use uh, that same fat synth. The van that broke down in front of Palace, was it a downhill van with lots it of probably room and was. standard no, air? No, we had a couple uh, pond vans uh, that were really kind of shitty. Okay. Actually, Hazel killed that van. We rented it to them, and they called us and said, hey, we just put gas in this van. It totally died. It was a diesel van. So the, the silver bow. And, the, <laughs> and, they, and they left it, and no. we never got it back. Right now I remember this song been a while i love this song i like this song a lot and now that i hear it i can go oh yeah that song it's timely i'm still living in the red that's the problem yeah the whole the whole country the whole fucking nation the whole world right now. 
I, I think this year might be the year I get to use a black pen instead of a red one, but we'll see. I don't know. So tell me about your guitar player from Audio Learning Center. Are you still oh, getting together with him? No. Um, Steve, he's he's still doing music. He does commercial music now. Um, Phenomenal player. Oh, he's amazing. And he played, he played in some amazing bands. He played in a band called Slack, which when I moved to Portland, they were like doing kind of funk um kind of like steroid induced high energy funk before anybody way before the chili peppers um very similar to the chili peppers um but it was just a little too soon i think and it's funny i think they probably did lots of shows with those guys early on and they just didn't go the same route what do you think about that i mean you you know you get into music you get into the music industry you think i've got this thing that i want to promote that people are going to you know kind of shit their pants over and then i mean when you talk about pond you talk about a band that came out when grunge was really king and and here was pond and here was but grunge wasn't king because when we started nirvana hadn't really launched yet okay you know mud honey was kind of big um green river maybe but it was pre-nirvana so more 80s yeah it was still kind of that thing but the the term hadn't been coined yet and we were out there and then things are going great for us we were on the cover of the Melody Maker and Enemy, and I was doing Peel sessions, and things were great. But so, why do I feel like there's this disconnect? Well, I think what happened is we were out there, and you know, when you're in a band, nobody says like, "Hey, here's what you're supposed to do," right? Yeah. So I remember there was a day definitely when we were on the road. I'd been on the road for six months, and I called our <laughs> uh, promotion guy. And and I'm like, hey, man, um, how's it going? And he's like, hey, good. Can I call you back? And I'm like, well, I'm at a payphone. He's like, are you still on the road? And this is my promotion guy from Sub Pop. And I'm like, yeah. But at a certain point, we went out pushing Pond Records, the first Pond Record. Oh, we were on the road much too long. Because we didn't know what the rules were or what we're supposed to do or or this or that. So we just went like, oh, we'll go on the road. At a certain point, we realized, oh, I guess we're supposed to go home and write another record. But at that point, we were so pissed off and like we were so burned out from touring. We went home and, and then Sub Pop's like, here's 10 grand to make a record. And Bruce Pavitt, who I think is a total genius, was like, we're like, well, we kind of want to record, learn to record. And he's like, well, take your budget and fucking buy some recording stuff. And that's what we did. We're like, really? Okay. So we bought everything which we made practice of joy before death. But I had never recorded before either. But at a certain point, I'm like, oh, 
like I had never seen a mixing board. I'm like, okay, so that's the EQ and yeah. Okay. Oh, I pan that, you know, <laughs> like, so we didn't know like those early things are like throw a mic in front. Let's go. Sounds good to me. Let's, we were the, ba- we were the band that everybody's like, oh man, we're on the cover of the melody maker and enemy and you know, everything's going well. But then Sunday day real estate showed up and was like, Fuckers. Oh, Hey, these guys are fucking great. And they were great. They were a fucking great band. But suddenly we were like, hey, um, can I call you back? Yeah, I'm in a pay phone. You're still on the road? I'm like, yeah, I'm in Kentucky. Oh. So We suddenly, thought you were dead. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, so we were like, um. We have to pay you? Yeah, so now? suddenly it's like, oh, well, here's our album, and here's Sunny now, Day's album that has a booklet with it, and it has a whole di- you know, diary. Is like you open it up, it's like a, you know, it's like a National Geographic. But do you know you those know, two guys? Like, are they still paying for that? No, they're no. <laughs> oh, they're, no, those guys are in the Foo Fighters. A couple yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, the bass <laughs> you know, player. They're like bass whatever. Yeah, and he's a sweetheart, and I he's love those guys. Nice guy. I think they're very no, sweet no. guys. But my thing is, like, we had our glint of time, and it's like, let's say you're there, but there's no rule book. It's not like, hey, here's what I need to do to make it fucking huge. And you go, okay, I'm doing what I think. I totally guessed it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You know? You just heard an interview with Chris Brady of Pond and Audio Learning Center, and now Extracto Coffee. Johnny DeBelli and I were excited to go up to Extracto on 15th and Northeast Prescott and hang out a little bit with Chris and talk to him after hours about what he's up to now. What a great time that was. And he's got another shop on 29th Killingsworth, so check out Extracto if you're in town and hang out and have some Joe. During the pond section of our music, we heard Filterless, Scoliosis, Young Splendor, You Get That From Your Mother, Rock Collection, and New Cavalry. And from Audio Learning Center, In the Red, and Cope Park, title track off the Cope Park album. During the interview, we also heard Empire Rocket Machines Unfurled. And I started the show off today with Jupiter Crash, their tune In the Flesh, from the Seattle recordings made at London Bridge. Jupiter Crash is going to have some more tracks out later this year. And we'll get some of those and play it for you so you can hear what's going on. Now they're in Vegas, tearing it up. Next, we've got The Slants with How the Wicked Live. And after that, I'm going to play some Red Fang, The Undertow. And I'm going to end it with Jennifer Batten's tune Ricochet off her 2009 album. And we'll talk a little bit more about her.
Ricochet by Jennifer Batten, former guitar player for Michael Jackson, uh, both in the studio and on tour, and columnist in the old magazine Guitar for the Practicing Musician. 
which doesn't exist any longer, but still have a lot of their centerfolds at home. And she used to write that great column next to names like Joe Satriani and Alex Skolnick and others, really wonderful uh, music theorist as well as a composer. And we're going to feature more of her stuff uh, in episodes to come. So look for that. That should be a lot of fun. Thanks for listening tonight. If you know what time it is, then it's the hour from Portland, Oregon. And we'll be with you next month with a lot of music. Thanks again.
Thank you.